The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Roma review episode, and I've got a full panel to help me with this review. I'll start with a first-time guest. He is the founder of the DC Club Napoli. Sean Sullivan, welcome to Forza Napoli. Thanks, Joe, so much. It's a pleasure to have you on. Our second guest is no stranger to the pod, but it's his first appearance as a married man. Gianluca, welcome back. Hey, how's it going? Happy to be here. Married, yeah, it's nice. (laughs) (laughs) Probably for you, not a whole lot has changed anyways. We'll move on to our third guest, who's also no stranger to the podcast, Vincenzo Bertillo. Welcome back. Happy to be back, as always, Joe. Thank you. All right, so let's get into it. As you all know, Napoli drew Roma 1-1 at the Maradona. Lorenzo Insigne opened the scoring from an early penalty won by Chucky Lozano. Then Stefan El Shirawi all but crushed our dreams with an equalizer in stoppage time in the second half. I'm sure you're all chomping at the bit to talk about that second half and what went wrong, but we are going to start with the first half. In fact, I want to get your thoughts on Spalletti starting 11, so even before this match began. We learned on Monday that David Ospina had flu-like symptoms, though he tested negative for COVID, and as a result, Alex Meret started in goal, which made a lot of Napoli fans nervous. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on Meret, but Vincenzo, I know you're not his biggest fan, so I'll let you get it out of your system, and then we can move on from Meret. What did you think of his performance? He didn't cost us the drop points, but if that performance filled you with confidence, then you know I don't know what you're watching. So I'll leave it at that. I don't think this draw was on him, but I still am very wary and very nervous every time he's playing for us. Yeah, he's definitely lacking in confidence. You can see he's hesitant to come off his line. Roma had two chances in the second half on crosses. First time Abraham's header and then Gianluca Mancini's. And I couldn't help but wonder if Ospina would have attacked those balls rather than just sitting back on his line. Now, personally, I still believe that's a result of just not playing consistently. I know a lot of people are tired of hearing that excuse. But ultimately, like you said, he didn't cost us the match. So I think we can safely move on from Meret. The back four was pretty much what we expected, but there were a few changes to the front six, and Gisa returned from suspension, and we knew that Lobotka would start, which meant that at least one of Fabian Ruiz and Piotr Zielinski would not start. Gianluca, like many of us, you wanted to see Mertens in the number 10 in the 4-2-3-1. Instead, Spalletti used Fabian in the 4-3-3, 
I'm sure you weren't too thrilled when you saw the club post the starting 11, but we had a decent first half. At halftime, were you still disappointed that Mertens didn't start, or did you think perhaps Spalletti got this starting 11 right? I think the starting 11 going into the first half worked as good as we all could have hoped. Mertens wasn't in the game because there wasn't anywhere to put him when we're going to play with our three best midfielders, which I I do think was a good look. It's just unfortunate that Lobo got hurt and now we have to kind of revert a little bit. But I think as far as the first half went going into the game, yeah, I was disappointed. You know, I'm definitely quoted as saying that I really wanted Mertens to start this game with Osimhen, but that was the best alternative lineup in my opinion. So I, I wasn't upset. I was just like, all right, let's see what happens. We had a good first half, but I wasn't particularly impressed with Fabian. So perhaps we could have done just as well, maybe even better with Mertens on instead of Fabian. We'll talk about the Lobotka injury in part two, but I think once that injury happened, it was always going to be difficult to get Mertens and Osman on the field together. The other change that Spalletti made was he started Lozano over Politano on the right wing. And Sean, that seemed to work quite well. Yeah, I, I took that as a kind of good look from Spalletti, kind of after all the all the pushback Lozano was getting after the Fiorentina match, you know, from the reaction from fans and the press. I, I thought Spalletti kind of saw that he could have a good game, and I think we saw that. We saw glimpses of what we had the opportunity of seeing all year. I honestly thought he played well, especially, I honestly thought he was one of the best players in the second half overall, but... Seeing him in the lineup, I thought that was a good look from Spalletti on his part, just to kind of giving him a little bit of the confidence that we saw, especially under Gattuso, and Gattuso was always cheering him on, and we kind of saw how that fed into his game. So I I thought it was a good look. Yeah, and I wonder if for Spalletti the decision was either Mertens or Lozano had to start to support Osman, whether it was the 10 in behind or Lozano with his pace on the wing. And it seemed like in the first half, we were having a lot of success attacking that channel in between Zalewski and Ibanez. Manuel Pascali on the English World Feed pointed out how Ibanez was perhaps defending a little too aggressively. He was overcommitting a little bit. And with Lozano's pace, he was able to get around him. And that's how he won the penalty kick. He also came close to scoring about midway through the first half, but Patricio swatted that shot away. Right after the restart, he set up a chance for Osman, but Mancini got a foot in and blocked the shot. So I thought Lozano was definitely one of our better players. And when he was removed, it seemed like our attacking threat declined dramatically. Vincenzo, do you think Spalletti removed Lozano too soon? Absolutely. I think that he was by far our most effective and best attacker on the day. And I just don't understand why he was taken off so early after he was causing that many problems. I understand that he was on a yellow card, but there were other players on a yellow card on the team at that point. And he's, he's a winger. He's not playing at a DM or a center back in a very um, tentative position where you're expected to constantly go in for tackles. One would expect that a, that a winger at this level should be able to play a few minutes, maybe even up to a half an hour on a yellow card and avoid getting a second yellow in an important game. And especially if the alternative was Elmas and not Politano, it even makes sense uh, to a lesser degree. Yeah, I wonder if part of it, though, was that it wasn't just that he was on a yellow, but the way that whole thing happened, like he seemed pretty fired up. So the best explanation I can think of is that maybe that was a little bit of damage prevention. Any player should be able to play on, on a yellow card and adjust their game. The last player I want to talk about in part one is Lorenzo Insigne. Gianluca, I thought he put in another good shift. Yeah, this game he definitely was playing on point. You know, his dribbling was good. He was keeping the ball close to him and in tight places. I definitely liked what I saw from him. It was just in the final third, he wasn't able to, I guess, get the the last touch, you know, whether it be the the assist or the goal, it was just, uh, we were having a hard time. Roma was playing pretty rough. Ref was letting a lot go on both sides, so I wasn't really 
wasn't upset about that, but that's also not something that favors Lorenzo. He's not one to be able to power through big defenders if they're laying out some hits. But I definitely think he had a good game, especially coming off the Fiorentina one. I think it was a good uh, shift for sure. He scored his ninth goal of the season. Now, eight of them have been from the penalty spot, but he's actually become very reliable from the spot after struggling a little bit early in the season. So I think that's worth something. Now, I know some people will resent him forever. And if Gaetano's listening, I'm looking at Gaetano, <laughs> um, you know, because he's leaving Napoli. But his play, as Gianluca suggested, has improved of late. He was excellent against Atalanta. He scored and he got the assist on the Politano goal. I thought he was pretty good against Fiorentina and he had another solid performance in this one. We saw him crying after the match as well. And I think that tells you that he's still invested in this club. I think he wants to leave Napoli as a Scudetto winner, as a champion. And I think this result probably made him, like all of us, feel like that seems pretty unlikely. Gianluca, you you alluded to the officiating. I want to get Vincenzo and Sean's thoughts on this as well, because I know certainly Romanisti were all over Dybalo. I don't know if you guys saw Jose Mourinho's post-match conference. And then again, on social media today, he has not stopped talking about Dybalo and his apparent grudge against Roma. Vincenzo, I personally thought he was poor equally for both sides. We're obviously all Napoli fans. We're going to be biased, but do you agree with that? Yeah, and I've been a fan of Mourinho for a long time. I've studied him a bit, and he plays so many games in the media, and he does all of these things which are layered. He, he's not a coach who just looks at the game on the field. He thinks about the media, the psychological pressure on the referees and the next referees. And, and he likes to paint a picture of Roma being hard done by and always being the underdog. And he also believes that that creates a kind of uh, siege mentality within his own squad. So this is just the way this guy operates. He looks for something to complain about and to make himself feel like he's hard done by and his squad feel that. And, and it works. But as an opponent, you need to know that. And Spalletti has faced him many times over the years. He's never beaten him. And going into this, I think Napoli should have known this was going to be a tough game. They were going to do the rough little tackles. They were going to go after the ref. Playing against the Mourinho team, it's very similar to going up against the Simeone Atletico. You, you have to go in knowing that it's going to be war, psychological and physical. Yeah, to piggyback on that because it's 100% true. At the beginning of the game, when they embraced each other on the sideline, it was exactly identical to the Chiellini and Jordi Alba in uh, the Euros. Mourinho had the spunk and was happy, was touchy-feely, and Spalletti was just thumbs up, take this picture, let me get F out of here. And it was just like, I didn't have a good feeling about it. And then we got the penalty and it was like, all right. But then like after the half, you saw that kind of uh, effect. Like Mourinho just, like this is his... Uh, spinach like the Popeye like they're coming off getting through Bodo Glimp who's a joke of a team that they should have done anyway from the beginning and now tying Napoli is another Roma win and talking about the officiating and everything it's just fuel for him and you're gonna see it probably in their their match this week yeah there were a lot of Romanisti celebrating this draw to Napoli as you know a big accomplishment that more so that they in their minds, ended Napoli's Scudetto hopes, which kind of says a lot about Romanisti and, and what their hopes are, if if that's a, an achievement. Sean, any final thoughts on the officiating or Mourinho? Just going to hone in on the Mourinho effects. You always have to expect that from him and his, his sides, whether he, he knows how to fire up the players, he knows how to fire up the subs, he knows how to get everybody on the same page and as the second half progressed, I just felt like we were kind of falling into that trap and some drama was going to happen, whether it was from Mourinho on the sideline or causing Spalletti to get riled up and he would get a red to go off or there was going to be some drama stemming from Mourinho's aura and his just his style. So he threw the sink at us. Like he knows how to push Spalletti's buttons and it, it showed and it just it showed. He scored some points with me by going to the uh, Quartieri Spagnoli and bringing a bouquet of flowers to the, the Maradona Shrine. And 
now I'm wondering if he was just playing mind games with me too because I, I sat there thinking, oh, you know what, Mourinho's a good guy, but he might have been uh, messing with all of us a little bit. I like to think it was genuine though because uh, apparently he was friends with Maradona, so we'll we'll give him the benefit out of the doubt on that one. That'll do for part one. In part two, we'll talk about what everyone really wants to talk about, which is the second half. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to part two of the Fortsonopoly podcast. So there's a lot to talk about from the second half, but let's cut right to the chase and talk about the Roma equalizer. Stefan El Shirawi scored the goal in the 91st minute. It was the first out of eight minutes of stoppage time. Gianluca, I'll come to you first because I know you have a lot to get off your chest. Who do you blame and why is it Spalletti? I blame the team as a whole just because it was a team goal by Roma. That ball went through a lot of players. It wasn't just like a, a meatball thrown over the top that we would blame on Hisai in the past or uh, even Rui or whoever. This was completely everyone at fault. You had Elmas walking, Zielinski walking. Dan Med looked like he didn't know where he was. Koulibaly was not out of position, but I think everyone pulling over to, like, Juan Jesus coming into the field kind of threw off the equilibrium in that in the defense. And in having an extra defender, we ended up somehow leaving an attacker open. I blame Spalletti because this this isn't practice. This is what they practice. They train this, right? He's not putting a fifth defender in and it's the first time that they're doing it because that would be even dumber, right? I don't want to believe that. So if you're doing something that you do in, in the training field, and mind you, this is also maybe it's less than four times that maybe we've played with the fifth defender this year. So to do it at this stage in the game, when we need to win, it was, I get it. And you had to do it because the situation, Robotka got hurt. We already made some other substitutions and nothing was producing. We had Osimen out. So Rui threw the ball up. Roma built up the attack came through the right side, no, our, our left side. And, you know, they kind of just weaved right through us. And, like, I get that we had to defend at that point because of how we were playing. We had no other option. But I blame Spalletti because this is stuff that you should be practicing. And it's kind of proof that it's not something that we practice well at or enough because uh, we made that change and Roma was in the driver's seat. For me, there was a bit of a, a progression there were a few moments where each with each one of those moments, the second half got worse. It started, as you mentioned, with Lobotka getting hurt, which was a huge loss in the midfield. And then there was the decline in the attack with Lozano coming out that we already talked about. And then there was the change in formation to a 5-4-1. So I want to talk about Spalletti's substitutions because there was a lot of debate about whether he got that right. And let's start with the first three changes. In the 57th minute, we replaced Lobotka with Zielinski. Then in the 68th minute, we replaced Lozano with Diego Dem and Fabian with Elmas. Sean, these seemed like normal enough changes, but obviously it didn't end up working out. What did you think about the substitutions? Very conservative and, and defensive approach from Spalletti, especially Deme and for Fabian. I, it just seemed like he was ready to have our defensive line hold with that Deme substitution. And I don't even think Deme really played that well. I didn't really see him have that that much strong of a presence or that strong of a press on defense. So I, once again, Spalletti just going the defensive and conservative approach at that point. And we, I know we spoke about Elmas in for, for Lozano, and I just – what was the issue with Politano? I don't know why why you would choose Elmas over Politano. And I know Elmas he did he did have a few glimpses of of that 
false winger, whatever you want to call his role that Spalletti envisioned him, especially a couple of those passes to, to Zelensky, especially. But I just thought it was a very conservative and overall defensive approach from Spalletti when we should have tried to be a little bit more on the attack offensively. For me personally, I was fine with the first three changes just because I think the Demis substitution, I think, was done for a couple of reasons. One, I think it was more of a like-for-like like change with Lobotka, but he kind of did it through two substitutions. I think he would rather give Zielinski more playing time, so he started with Zielinski and switched to the 4-2-3-1 with Nguisa and Fabian in the double pivot, which is totally normal because we've played with those guys in the double pivot many times this season. Then he removed Fabian and brought in Demet to play in that double pivot. And I think that was also partially because of a substitution that Mourinho made that was clearly impacting the game, which was to bring Mkhitaryan in at halftime. And I think he was a big part of Roma's turnaround in the second half. Now, I know we've all been begging for Osman and Mertens to play together, and we kind of touch on this in part one. But I think, as I mentioned, you know, once Lobotka got hurt, and especially once Zielinski was brought on, because I suppose he could have brought on Mertens instead of Zielinski and put him in the 10 at that point. But I think he might have been thinking, you know what, at that point in the 57th minute, our attack was still doing fine. Lozano and Osman were still clicking. So there wasn't necessarily a need to, to add another attacking player. And Zielinski, at least in theory, would have given us more balance in the midfield. And... You know, I've seen some people suggest that, well, we could have used Mertens instead of Elmas as the winger. And I know Mertens played as a winger once upon a time, but Spalletti has never used him there. So I was never really expecting Mertens to play on the wing. Likewise, I wouldn't expect Mertens to play in a 4-4-2, which is another thing that could have been done to try to get Mertens and Osman together. But I, I think at this level, and, and we're going to get to the 5-4-1 in just a second, you just can't randomly play a system that you haven't trained much with and Gianluca kind of alluded to that as well and you know just expect these guys to know what to do now the thing that that worries me is this 541 and that that was really a change he made in the 83rd minute when he did eventually bring Mertens on the only way to get Mertens on was to replace Osman at that point which he did and that's also something you can debate you know would it have been better to just leave Osman at that point? If you're lining up in a 4-5-1 and you know you're just going to boot the ball long, who would you rather have chasing those balls, Osman or Mertens, right? I think the answer is obvious. But he replaced, I mean, he did substitutions on paper were a little bit weird because on paper he replaced Insignia with Mertens and Osman with Juan Jesus. But we know that's really Mertens for Osman and Insignia for Jesus. And that facilitated this switch to the 5-4-1 Vincenzo, do you think Spalletti might have outcoached himself there with this change in formation? Yes, but I think it's a chicken or the egg situation. Mourinho read the game. He introduced Mkhitaryan. And frankly, they did score late on, but Tammy should have scored that header. Nine times out of ten, he scores that header. Mancini could have scored that header off of the corner. And then uh, there was the Moret incident where it was 50-50, could have almost been a penalty. So those were three very clear chances that Roma concocted over the course of the second half, where I don't really remember us having anything other than the odd shot from outside the box. Nothing near the expected goals of those chances on our side. And, and then I thought Spalletti's substitutions also shot himself in the foot. So it was a combination of Mourinho starting to outcoach him at, at the beginning of the second half, and then on top of that, Spalletti overreacting with the substitutions, going overly defensive with the substitutions too early and shooting himself in the foot. So I think it was kind of a double whammy. It just makes no sense, as you say, to take Osimen out, especially if you're going to play that 5-4-1 formation because Mertens doesn't have the speed to play that way. And Osimen, you know, people keep saying, and I'm sure we'll get into him more later, but people keep saying, oh yeah, he was pocketed. But he was also pocketed for most of the game against Fiorentina and then managed to get a goal and assist. So, you know, when you have a guy like that on the field, unless you have someone else with similar characteristics, you don't take him off, in my opinion, especially if you're going ultra defensive. Yeah, and we're not exactly getting goals from anywhere else. I know Mertens has contributed, but it seems like he's even more likely to score when he's playing with Victor. So again, if you had to pick just one of them, Victor's probably the guy you want to go with. Going back to the goal, I think there were a few individual mistakes there, and, and Gianluca touched on this as well, specifically with 
Juan Jesus kind of stepping up and getting caught. And I think what happened there is that really forced the entire back line to shift, right? So you had, once Perez played the ball out wide, I think it was to Karsdorp, Mario Rui had Karsdorp, so he was fine in terms of positioning. But because Jesus had stepped up, the other three center back or the other three defenders, the two center backs and Zanoli had to shift over. So Koulibaly chased Pellegrini to the wing. Then Rachmani had to shift over to cover FNGN. Zanoli had to shift over to cover Tammy Abraham. And that's what left the other side of the field wide open for El Shirawi. Now, if you look at where El Shirawi was at the beginning of this action, he was nowhere near the area. He kind of snuck in there at the back. But I think going back to this 5-4-1, part of the reason why you don't use something like that is because even if they have trained with it, like Gianluca said, they've only used it a couple of times in actual live gameplay. When you then ask guys like Zanoli, Jesus, Demme, Elmas, Zelinski, guys that are, you know, Zelinski plays a lot, but he's more of an attacking midfielder. You're now asking these guys to play in a formation that we're already not using. Even Anguissa, right? Like Anguissa was the midfielder that was closest to El Shirawi. All of these replays popped up on the internet. We saw Zelinski running in slow motion as those, as that pass just kind of slowly rolled across the, the edge of the area. And again, you know, I, I appreciate, we definitely have to give Mourinho credit and we have to give Roma credit. And maybe not enough people are doing that because Roma is one of the most informed sides. So it's, they're not going to be an easy team to beat. Even though we had to win this match, we do have to give them a little bit of credit. But I think for me, that 5-4-1 played a big role in us conceding this goal. And not to go back to uh, how you posed the question to Vin, but I feel like Spalletti went into this. And when you think about how many formations we went through in one half, and not even one half, just a short amount of time, are we even a team that should be playing more than two formations in one game? I just don't see it. I feel like Spalletti kind of overcompensated. He went defensive too early. He was trying to play this like, I'm going to finally be smarter than Mourinho. And Mourinho was already having a plan for the second half during the first half, threw on Mkhitaryan, and then from there they were getting more opportunities because even in the first half they had some, but it wasn't anything to really you know worry about so much but in the second half they were doing well pretty early it was back and forth but I just felt like we just changed up too much and like you said with the players that we were changing formations with they weren't guys that you should be doing that with it's one thing when you're asking your starters your best players like all right we're gonna you know shift or we're gonna prepare for this game like this but we just switched up too much. And I know like partially was because Maboka got hurt, but we went into a formation we're comfortable with from there, just with subs. Then we moved into a completely different formation that, like you said, Joe, was just kind of the cause of, of that goal. And it was all slow motion. Once it got to the bottom right side of the field for Roma, it was just a slow motion goal. Like, And even when you see like those other reactions of uh like on youtube of people watching it live you see them like watching in slow motion and you're like jesus this is such a mental ending god yeah i just want to add i heard uh, dom on napoli talk made a great point about the fact that normally when we def- when we're going in a defensive formation we play 4-4-2 with two banks of four and then two up top and that traditionally forgetting about even how we normally play off the ball that is the most secure defensive structure in football period okay and you know Zanoli would have had somebody in front of him Rui would have had someone in front of him even if it's Malqui in front of Zanoli just doubling up for legs or energy or even Elmas there when you're playing in the 4-4-2 that way, Anguissa didn't need to be out on the right wing. He would have just been in the middle with Deme in the middle and then two wingers beside him in front of Rui and Zanoli, adding extra cover. Rather than playing the 5-3-2, which not only was in disarray because we didn't play it, but also the outside players have no one really in front of them in that formation. And also, again, by subbing Mertens on only because you're playing that way, not because I don't love Mertens, but by subbing Mertens on and going in that structure, you're basically giving Roma a free pass because they don't feel they have any danger that you're going to counter on them. So they can just go all out for the goal. They're not worried about someone like Victor hitting them when they're going in the attack. So 
it was terrible call in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, even if we stayed with the 4-3-3, in theory, the way we play a 4-3-3, that would have been more defensive too because our wingers drop in the 4-3-3. So, you know, when you think that El Shirawi attacked on Roma's left wing, Zanoli, who's a young player, hasn't been playing that long. He's accustomed to having Politano or Lozano track back to cover that wing. And the same thing happens on the opposite side with Insignia, which he did again quite a bit. When you switch to a 5-4-1 and you have really four central midfielders in the middle of the park, their mind is not thinking about covering the wings because that's just not what they're accustomed to doing. Sean, any final thoughts on the uh, substitutions or, or the formation? No, just kind of echoing, not to blame Spalletti because I don't think you can. we can really blame any one person and I think it doesn't serve the interest of the team at this point to kind of pinpoint anybody, but too reactionary, too overthinking from Spalletti. You know, he, he knew he knew Mourinho was throwing the bus at him when subbing Mkhitaryan. And even, even the late sub of Perez, I was like, wow, that's such a Mourinho move right there to put in Perez. Like, I think that was like in the 70th minute or something like that. That was such a Mourinho move. And we just didn't have that. We didn't match that energy. We didn't match that that charisma, even defensively, which we were trying to do, it just wasn't there. I saw that Perez sub and I was like, Mourinho, that's just a classic move from you, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) The irony was that the eight minutes of stoppage time, which almost seemed invented to give Roma a chance to get back into the match, theoretically benefited us more than it benefited Roma. In reality, we probably could have had three weeks of stoppage time and we still wouldn't have scored a goal because there was just not a squad out on the field that was going to score a goal, if I'm being honest. And I was actually more concerned that Roma would get the winner in those final seven minutes than I was optimistic that we would score the winner. That will do for part two. In part three, we'll talk a bit more about Spalletti and we'll touch on Napoli's dwindling hopes of winning the Scudetto. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to part three of the Forza Napoli podcast. Before we continue, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash pod. It's entirely voluntary, no obligations. All of our content is still free for everyone. I actually started the Patreon after a few people reached out to me looking for a way to support the show. So thank you for everyone who's already signed up. It's greatly appreciated. I've got a few ideas I'm working on for next season to improve the Patreon experience. So stay tuned for that. And you can also support the pod entirely for free by leaving us a rating or writing a review on your favorite podcast platform. All right. I want to touch on another debate that I've seen going on on social media, which stems from the fact that this time last season, we had collected 66 points. We're currently on 67 points, which is only one more than obviously we had last season. Vincenzo, I'm going to come to you first on this because I think it might have been the first time I had you on the podcast We talked about Spalletti being hired, and you weren't terribly optimistic about that decision back then. How are you feeling about Spalletti with five matches remaining and we're only one point ahead of where we were last season? I wish I was wrong, you know, because we can all have bad takes and and stuff. But, you know, I said I thought at best it was a sideways move, and it's turning out to be pretty much almost identical in terms of points. I think there's certainly some areas that Spalletti has done better than Gattuso in terms of organizing our defense and bringing out the best in Rachmani and Lobotka in particular. But then there's certain areas he's done worse than Gattuso. Last year, we were scoring goals for fun. We had the most four and five nothing wins in Europe, I think, along with Bayern Munich. Chucky was better. Politano was better. Zielinski was better. Insigne were better. So, so there were some players who were much better last year under Gattuso. And again, I'm not saying that I'm Spalletti out right now. We've chosen him. He was brought in to stabilize and pretty much guarantee Champions League. And he will, I think, 
barring any kind of total collapse, achieve that bare minimum target. However, I don't think it's been the step up that everyone was touting him to be, and whether that be in points or in style, because people saying that we play such a better style, well, we're scoring less goals. So I don't know how what your style points necessarily are. And then on top of that, we've done worse at home in these big games. You know, we've lost, um, let me see here, I have it, the list. Empoli, Spezia, Atalanta, Milan, Fiorentina, and Roma. Out of all those games, 18 points on the board, we've got one point. All at home in our house, which is appalling, really. It's hard to even fathom when, when you look at that. And like I said, I wish I was wrong. And I think that really we had worse luck last year. We had no Angisa, who people say we had no um, market. But Angisa is still, in my opinion... Maybe other than Tammy Abraham, you could say he's probably one of the best signings in Serie A for this last season. So, yeah, in the end, I think we're pretty much in the same spot, although we will uh, qualify for Champions League. Which you also said was when we did that first interview that, you know, he's going to get you top four, but probably not much more than that. So I think you're you're looking like you were spot on back then. You know, one thing for me that I've noticed a big difference in is at the beginning of the season, I was praising Spalletti for continuing to attack even when we had a lead, for getting results in matches that seemed like, you know, last season might have finished as draws or losses and finding a way to get positive results out of those matches, for changing the mentality of the club. But a lot of that seems to have vanished. And I don't know if it's just a curse in this city that... Once you're here long enough, this mental thing creeps in and, and starts to to impact everyone, even someone like Spalletti. You touched on the home record. A friend of the podcast, Daniel Bowen, posted this question on Twitter. He asked, you know, has there been a season in the ADL era where Napoli have had a worse home record? So I, I looked into it, and there were only four seasons where we had the potential to have as few points as we could have this season. So this season, the maximum points we can collect at home is 36. That would match our point total in the 2011-12 season. In 08-09 and in 09-10, we collected 35 points at home. And in the 2019-20 season, which was the season of the mutiny, so you could even probably put an asterisk (laughs) next to that one, we only collected 33 points. So that was the worst season we've had at home under ADL. And one of our two remaining home games is against Sassuolo, who always plays us tough. That could be a match that we, you know, even if we draw that match, it would be our second worst season under ADL at home. And if we lose that match, we could tie our worst season. I'm going to assume we beat Genoa at home as well. Now, those are a couple of the, the issues we're pointing to. I think after a sort of heartbreaking result like this, I'm so tempted to say defeat, even though it was a draw. We're all kind of looking to point the finger at someone. It could be at Spalletti. We can blame our home record. We can blame injuries, which is really an indictment against our medical staff. I think a lot of people have been right to point that out. I'm surprised that not too many people have pointed out that we've dropped points against our direct rivals as well. I mean, we haven't beaten Inter again this season. I think one drawn, one loss. There's a number of direct rivals who I guess you would be happy to say we got one win and one loss to. Milan, Atalanta, Fiorentina, all teams that we got a win and we got a loss. Roma now we've drawn twice. So, you know, I think that's also something we can point to. Sean, not to reduce it down to one thing, but is there one thing that you would point to that you would say is is the biggest reason why we find ourselves in this position? I don't know if you can blame any one particular player because for me there hasn't been one particular player who stood out as the sole reason why we're so poor at home but it just seems like we come out in the maradona to start off these games and the either the energy from from the crowd has been there some games and then some games some games that hasn't been there granted there's been capacity issues but the last couple of home games there's been like full crowds there and i i just think there's something lacking between this team and the tifosi at the maradona like there's some 
energy that's not there that's been there in the past i don't i don't it's so frustrating because i don't know there's no reason why we should have such a poor home form for any reason it's just i just think there's either We've all been teased by the Scudetto all year that now that maybe we're finally coming to the realization that that's not happening. Maybe some fans are not giving that voice that we need even to the end, even round 38. I don't know, but it's I think uh, there's been a lot of emotions this year. There's been a lot of ups and downs. And I think, like we said, uh, Spalletti wasn't brought in to get the Scudetto year one, but we've come so close to that that I think that once people realize that that might not be what this year might bring after all, there's been some sort of a disconnect between the team and and, and the fans as a whole. Um, I don't know, but that's the only reason why I identify as our poor home form. It's really, it's really baffling. I really don't understand. And even when, even when I listen to some of, you know, other squads in Serie A, like even lower teams like Sampdoria, you listen to those matches, those fans are like, the whistling is there, the jeering is there, the, the energy is, is palpable. And, and not that the, not that the Maradona is weak because that, that's never the case, but, but there's just something, something missing there. I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what it is. It's frustrating. Yeah, it is. I think everyone's kind of scratching their heads trying to figure out what's happened because, you know, up until really before COVID, the Maradona was a fortress. There was one season when I was looking up those numbers. I can't remember if it was 17, 18 or, or one of the seasons under Sadi where we didn't lose a single match at home and we only drew three. It was probably 17, 18 because of the 91 points. So that just tells you how, how far we've come from that point. So, I, I mean, I think I know the answer to my final question for you guys, just judging by everyone's tone on the podcast so far. But I want to quickly touch on our thoughts on whether Napoli can still win the Scudetto. Mathematically, we're not out of it. We're currently four points back of Milan, and we're, I believe, two points back of Inted, but they have a game in hand. Gianluca, I'll come to you first. Do you think there's any chance that we can pull this off? Really quick, to, I just want to go back to what we just said. Like this game would have no effect on us had we just beat Spezia and Empoli. We'd be up two points on Milan. It would be the first year that I don't care that we don't win either game against Rome. I don't know. We suck at home, and the only person I can blame is the captain, because after three losses at home, he's the person that should be holding that team accountable. Because ADL, let's be realistic, if he walks into the locker room, I don't think anyone really cares. Maybe a few guys do, but because of the whole, I don't even know what it is, just the air of him, there, there's something that players, because so many players speak out against him, obviously not everyone listens to him. So the only person I can hold accountable is the guy who's crying at the field at the end of the game. He's the one person that should be pointing, grabbing everyone's shirt. The one thing that he probably could have learned from Gattuso, getting in everyone's face and telling them, you got to win here. You can't lose these games. Because honestly, even losing three games at home is bad. But if we win those two meatball games against those two shitty teams, completely different mood for all four of us tonight. We'd all be happy and laughing and being like, who gives a shit? We'll take that tie. We're up two points. We're good to go. It wouldn't even matter. That's what's the most frustrating. So I blame the captains of the team. I blame uh, Insignia. I blame Koulibaly. And I blame Spalletti. That's all I can blame. That's a fair point. My only response to that argument is that Milanisti and Interisti and Juventini are probably saying the same thing about themselves. Because I think really this oh, yeah. season, all of the top teams have dropped points to some of the lower table clubs. Definitely. It's just the fact that we lost them at home. And on top of already losing three other games at home, I can't recall if those games were later lost or mm -hmm. were they like the first few games that we lost. We lost to Empoli in December and we lost to Spezia... Well, we basically didn't lose for almost the first half of the season, right? The first yeah. rounds or whatever. But so I just feel like those are those, when you win a championship, those are the games you win yeah. more often than not. When I looked up those stats, while this may not be our worst home season in terms of points, it already is the most losses we've had at home under ADL. So in some of those previous seasons, we had more draws and dropped points that way. But 
we've never lost more than I think four matches at home in any season under ADL, and we've lost five at home this season. Justin yeah. said, "Yeah." And then if you look at Europa League and Coppa Italia, you can add a few more to that. We lost five two to Fiorentina at home. That was terrible. And to go back on what you said, like you know, and and the one thing that you have to count on is that we're not going to beat all the big guys every time we play them. And this year we didn't do well with that. So that's why those games against the little guys, you have to win them because the Milans and the Inters and the Juve, you're going to drop points. Roma, you'll drop points. So like that's what makes those ones so much more important. You can't walk into them thinking, all right, I can have lasagna the night before for dinner and it's all good. Like go into these games, you want to win? You're going to cry if we lose six games before the end of the season? Treat every game like it's the last goddamn one because it is for you, especially the captain. I don't mean to hone in on him, but you want to cry? Get it together. Get in these guys' faces. Tell them that you can't afford to lose. Enough's enough. What are we supposed to do here? Like, we're going to go crazy. Daniel Russo always says, I'm probably never going to see this team win a a championship. And you don't want to believe it. And I don't know, this year, who knows? Maybe those guys that I'm complaining about right now, they are getting into everyone's faces. And we have to bank on the other teams losing. Given Inter's performance today, I I don't know if they're going to cool off or go into the next game not being good. So we can do it, but we also need to bank on people failing. And that sadly is like kind of a reoccurring theme, whether it's qualifying for Champions League or winning the league or whatever it is. Yeah. Vincenzo, what do you think? Can we pull this off? Mathematically, we can, but I would be very surprised if we did at this point because I don't have the confidence even that we can win out. You know, If I were to break it down in numbers, I'd probably say like I think it's 70% Inter, 20% Milan, 10% us. So we have a chance, but... I really think this is Inter Scudetto to lose. And if they do, I think it'll be Milan who gets it. Yeah. Sean, what do you think? The only match that I see Inter legitimately dropping points against, and even I think that would, could be a draw, is, is Roma this weekend. Like, other than that, I don't really see them losing steam at this point. Picking back off Vin, I, mathematically, we're still in it, but I just don't, I just don't know if we have the the real green to, to just to kind of finish this out and just to make sure that we, that we win, that we just, cause we said we can't, we, we have to win out after Fiorentina. We have to, we have to do this, but we can't trip up again. And we all know how, what happened yesterday. So I just don't think we have pains me to say, you know, champions league. Yes. But even then, will we really, should that be the be all end all? Cause we all know how we do in champions league at the end of the day too. So that's just like, really just like really sucks that we just didn't. It just sucks. I'm just like, <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I think that's, we, that pretty much sums up the feeling across the fence. Just settle, settle, <laughs> as, as a Napoli fan, when, when, when you settle for champions league as a goal, yeah, we all want to be back in champions league, but just really like, do we really even like perform that great in Champions League anyway? Like we just, I don't know. I had to be optimistic, like glass half full for sure. But like this team has taught me to stay humble and 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 within within the lines of reality. <laughs> yeah, the one thing that I mean, it is extremely important financially to even to just be in the Champions League, and even if you get knocked out of the group stage. Like I was looking at the payouts, and I think this year. Juve collected something like 70 million euros from Europe while we collected 11 million from the Europa League. So just being there and and that takes time because it's based on like your previous 5 years and just We should honestly some... have to pay the Europa League 11 million to tell the truth. How <laughs> even get there? I'll just say that. Yeah, no. Um, thankfully we're getting something out of it. But yeah, being at the Champions League is important, but I definitely take your point Sean that it's we did have to give ourselves a bit of a reality check. And one thing it, that we need to address as well is that goals can change over the course of the season. So I flip-flop on this all the time. I'm probably the most guilty about it because, you know, yes, at the beginning of the season, the goal was to finish in the top four. So mission accomplished. We did that. It was an improvement over last season. But that's not to say that come match day 32 and you're only a couple points off the top of the table that the goal at that point has now changed and even the team and the players and everyone would acknowledge that that the goal then became win the Scudetto so 
it's disappointing and we should be disappointed as fans. Just a touch on on the Scudetto race, I think we've all kind of suggested that Milan are not very likely to win it, just, I think, because we all know the teams that they have remaining on the schedule. They have to play Lazio, Fiorentina, Hellas Verona, Atalanta, and Sassuolo in their final five matches. So it wouldn't be unheard of for us to pass Milan, because all we need them to do is draw two matches and we'll make up those four points or draw one and lose one. Inted are the bigger challenge because even though they have six matches remaining because of that game in hand against Bologna, none of their matches are really that difficult. As Sean said, Roma is the only team that's likely to take points away from them. Hopefully they can win that match, but a draw seems probably more likely. And then after that, they really play the bottom of the barrel in terms of uh, Serie A, Bologna, Udinese, Ampoli, Cagliari, and Sampdoria, which means we need them to lose to Roma and lose to one of those other teams because if they win their game in hand, they're five points clear of us and they have the head-to-head advantage, so we need them to drop six points. So, yeah, in all likelihood, uh, Inter are going to win. And as Gianluca said, you know, the win against Milan in the Coppa Italia on Tuesday can go either way. On the one hand, you can say that's going to give them a a huge boost in confidence and now they might just plow through the, the field to end the season. The little hope that we have is that it means they have to play one more match, which is the final of the Coppa Italia. That's on May 11th, which is in between their matches against Empoli and Cagliari. Maybe Mazzari can do us a favor and somehow pull off a victory. He has been a tough opponent lately for some of the top teams, so hopefully they can help us out. But definitely, like Vincenzo said, it's Inter Scudato to lose now. That is where we'll leave it. So I want to thank all of our guests for joining me today. Sean, thank you so much. Thank you, Joe. It was a pleasure. No, the pleasure was all mine. Gianluca, thank you. Thank you, as always. Had a great time, boys. Thanks, Gianluca. Vincenzo, thank you, as always. Thanks for the uh, therapy, Joe. We need it. (laughs) Yeah, that's unfortunately, this has been a therapy pod far too often this season, but we'll continue to do that for everyone. You can find all of our guests on Twitter. Sean is at Sean C. Saul, and you can find the DC Napoli Club at DC Partenopei. Gianluca is at Gianluca617, and Vincenzo is at VinBertillo. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fiscat 5 and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli Pod. I'll be back in a few days to review our latest Primavera matches and to preview our match against Empoli. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Eighteen plus.